0: Amen. Turn with me, please, to the book of Ephesians as we continue our study of this book during our Sunday school time. My goal, for those of you who are wondering how much I'm going to get done today, is to finish chapter 2. Now, I can't promise that's going to happen, but that is what I'm aiming for. If it happens, we'll say thank you, Jesus. If it doesn't happen, Lord willing, we'll pick back up, and we'll just keep walking through this book. I, I was speaking to Brother Bowie earlier. Uh, when I was 11 years old, that was the first time I ever did Bible quizzing. And I hated memorizing the scriptures, but I loved going on the trips. And the key, the, the, the requirement to go to the tournaments, which you was you had to memorize the material. Well, I started off with a bang. And my, the books that we were memorizing that year was Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And I made it through Galatians and Ephesians. And I just kind of put it off there. And so there's such a connection in my heart to the book of Galatians and the book of Ephesians because at a young age I, I embedded them in my spirit. I can quote a good bit of them. And I just felt like there's so much richness in this book uh, that it was worth visiting. But we're going to just read, uh, we left off verse 19, and what is the, uh, of of chapter 1, is that right? Yes, it is. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated. Just to finish off a recap, uh, this verse has a contingency clause. It's not just about the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, but it says, according to the working of his mighty power. That's where we ended last week. We talk about Ephesians 3.20, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly with all that we could ask or think. But it says, according to the power that worketh in us. So God says, my power, which is unlimited, I can do anything, it has to have another gate that opens it. Because if there were not gates, and that gate is the level of your faith, the level of belief, and God just released his power everywhere all the time, there'd be no sick people. There'd be no bound people. If God just said, I'm going to open up my power, and it's just going to continually flow freely, there would never be a need to pray. Because it would continually just keep answering prayers. And so the gate whereby God's power flows and touches somebody is the level of your belief. That's why the Bible says in Mark chapter 16, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Because you are the gate, you are the medium through which God wants to touch people. So let's go to verse number 20. How did this power come about? which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now, in the Old Testament, the defining event of God's delivering power was the crossing of the Red Sea because Israel and the Lord continually refer back to that, okay? So in the Old Testament, the crossing of the Red Sea was the pivotal point for Israel. But in the New Testament, The defining event of God's delivering power is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What the crossing of the Red Sea was to Israel, their point of reference, the resurrection is to the New Testament church because it's the resurrection that changed the course of humanity. It is our point of reference. Everything's different after Calvary, after the resurrection. So that power was only made possible by Calvary and the resurrection, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. This is why Jesus said, I'm, I'm set at the right hand of my Father. Ephesians one twenty one says this, Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So let me just give you a a prophecy 101 in a nutshell. Okay. There are some things that I don't talk about in prophecy because I don't know. And I'm not too embarrassed to say I don't know because millions of people don't know. But this much I do know about prophecy that there will come a point in time, whether it's pre mid or post tribulation, where those those that have the Holy Ghost and are baptized in Jesus' name and are living for God, not those that are UPC or ALJC or it don't matter, those that are born again of water and of spirit and are walking with God on whatever continent they are will be caught up to join Christ. Now, Christ has to come back because In Jerusalem, there's going to be a false prophet. That's the Pope. And there's going to be an Antichrist. That's going to be the leader of the one world government. That much I do know. The four horses red horse, communism. White horse, Roman Catholicism. Green horse is a pale horse. Death, Islam. Black horse, capitalism. Okay? Those are the four horses. Christ has to come back, he will touch this earth. That's where it's going to open up, Armageddon, blood to the horse's bridle. And those that are going to be his army are those that can't be killed. That's those that are where mortality have put on immortality. That's going to be the church. We'll be invincible. Okay? Now I'm not trying to be dark about this, but you, the zombies, you can't kill them. We're going to be spiritual zombies, okay? They can't kill us. They're not going to be able to kill us. They can shoot all they want. We're just going to keep on going. And he will establish his throne in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that's over there right now, not some Jerusalem that's going to come. The Jerusalem, you go visit Israel, that is where Christ will set up his throne, and you will be used or rewarded in his kingdom on this earth based upon what you do while you're here. Okay? Some say, well, I don't care if I'm a street sweeper. I just made it. Well, I'm shooting higher than a street sweeper, okay? But I'm not talking about in another world to come. I'm talking about on this earth. And during that thousand-year millennial reign, it says the lion's going to lay with the lamb. Everything's going to go back to how God intended it to be in the Garden of Eden. Childbearing is going to be painless because that's how he designed it to be. Okay, There's still going to be sinners on the earth for a thousand years because at the end of the thousand years, the Satan has to be loosed out of the pit and it says for another season he's going to go and tempt men. Okay? That's in that book. So if God came back right now between a and a there would still be a thousand years on this earth. And so it says, and he hath put all the, or rather far above all principality and power and might and dominion in and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in the world which is to come. After the great white throne judgment, which is at the end of the thousand years, John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And watch this. He said, There is no more seas. You know what that means? Where was John? The Isle of Patmos. And he was isolated, he was confined, and there was a barrier between where he wanted to be and where he was. And he said in that new heaven and new earth, there's not going to be any more, any more barriers or boundaries between me and where I want to be, or between God and humanity. There's going to be no more seas in the new heaven and the new earth. So he's That's why the Bible says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me tell you, every Muslim is going to have to say, Allah is not God. Jesus Christ is God. The Jews are going to have to say, that stumbling block, he is Lord. He is king. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. I'm thankful today that I know who Jesus is. Ephesians 1.22, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things of the church, which is his body, verse 23, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. If Let me, let me just put it like this. Put all things under his feet, If it is under his feet, if all things, all opposition, all torment, if everything is under his feet, watch this, he's talking about Christ, which is the body of God, and we are the body of Christ, then wouldn't that mean that if all things are under the feet of Christ, then all things are under the body of Christ? Why are we worrying over something that we're standing on? Why are we worrying over something that we have power over? Why are we letting the stuff of the enemy come against us uh, when we're the body of Christ? uh, And it is under our feet. We are the body. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. Watch this. The gates of hell didn't prevail against the literal body of Christ, the resurrection, and they're not going to prevail against the spiritual body of Christ, which is the church today. Amen. Let's step into chapter 2. It all flows together. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. He makes it personal. It's not a blanket statement. you got to read it. He's talking to me. I was dead in my trespasses in sin. My wickedness separated me from God. It didn't matter what you did. Sin is sin, and it all separates us from Christ. But there came a time when you felt that tug of the Spirit of God at your heart, and there hell couldn't stop you from responding to God. And when you got the Holy Ghost, it was a quickening. It was a resurrecting. It was a calling Lazarus from the dead defining moment in your life. And you became alive. Quicken means to make alive. You were dead. Death in the scriptures means separation. We were dead in the most significant way. We were dead spiritually. Breath does not mean life. Life means walking with God full of the Holy Ghost. Because this is what Jesus said, he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Death is not the absence of breathing, it's the absence of being. Physical death silences the body, but spiritual death silences the spirit. When we were all born, we grew up walking around, but we were all dead. Verse number two, wherein in time passed, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Because we were dead. We tried everything possible to make ourselves feel alive. And so that's basically where sin comes from is because people are empty and they're dead, they start trying to do things that are sinful in nature to make themselves feel better. But they don't understand why they're feeling like they're feeling. Only one thing that can fill that void, and that is Christ. We're And I'm not jumping off into politics. I won't be here very long. Just let me put it in part for a second. We're not dealing with a Republican and Democrat issue. We're dealing with people who are dead in their trespasses and sins and people who have been filled with the Spirit of God, even if they don't have the Holy Ghost, but perhaps have been founded on the Word of God, which is the basis of all morality. Let me just say this. Not much that comes out of the Capitol makes sense, okay? Okay and maybe you've never thought about it like this, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, but maybe I'll give you some ammo for somebody who, who wants to argue with you, okay? They will try to tell you the pro-choice movement that a baby in a mother's womb is not alive until they come out of the womb. Anybody ever heard that? But I just read a few days ago a case where a man was convicted for drinking and driving, got in a wreck. The lady in the vehicle that he hit was seven months expecting. The baby died, okay, in the womb. Mother lived, and he was charged with murder and was sentenced to jail. So if it's not a life, then why was he sentenced? Because it is a life. Doesn't matter what part of the, what trimester they're in. And let me tell you this, the judgments of God will come to this nation for the millions of babies that have lives have been taken. Jesus said, you mess with one of them little ones, it's better for you to tie a millstone to your neck and go out and jump off a bridge, I'm using my I'm paraphrasing, than to mess with a little one. And there's people who gotta stand in judgment over the immorality that is plaguing this country. Let me tell you the only thing stopping the judgment of God is the church right now. It's the church. Amen. People are dead in their trespasses and sin. They're not looking at things through a biblical perspective. And you, Brother who Brother spoke on it the other night, and it's so true. Right now, they're attacking Dr. Seuss' books because they don't like those books. They don't like what those books say. Well, if they don't like that, what those books say, it won't be long. They're going to be coming against this book and because this is offensive. Truth hurts. And right now, they're, uh, I was listening to an interview from somebody she, she was just a flaming moron which she was she was eat up with idiot and pardon that's just how you be, a duck is a duck brother and they have a, a baby and they said well the, the person interviewing them said Well, is it a male or a female who was born at birth? They were trying to be politically wrecked, and they said, it's a they. How stupid. They said, we don't use pronouns as he or she. Well, now, you English people, you help me, okay? Because they is a plural word. It means there's more than one. And so you're starting off with confusion for this kid because they're going to live their whole life looking for the other one. They're going to have imaginative friends. that call calling me they. We're living in the day when the Bible says they're going to call good evil and evil good, and they're trying to rewrite everything. And if you hadn't noticed, the pace is picking up faster, faster, and faster. And just because we live in Catahoula Parish, sometimes we can feel like we're in a bubble from all of it. But it's coming. It's coming. They are coming. <laughs> Might be one of them, but they're coming. Amen. Amen. I've said this before. The enemy is the prince of the power of the air. And what is media transferred over? Airwaves. It started with the radio. Radios are innocent. I wish now the biggest problem we had was the radio. But it kept growing to televisions, satellite. But what changed the game was the internet change the game. And I'd much rather deal with somebody having a TV in their house than that Internet because the prince of the power of the air is pushing his agenda through the Internet. And while it can be used for good, there's a whole lot more bad it can be used for. You know what history has proven? History has proven you can live without internet. A lot of people in here can remember when you didn't even have a computer in your house. You may not have a computer in your house. But if you had a computer, it was a big machine sitting on a, in the corner of a room somewhere, and, and it was you could go make a sandwich between web pages. It took so long to load something. Go do a, teach, search for truth for an hour. But airway. airwaves. That word disobedience in that verse means to be totally non-compliant or what the Old Testament refers to as stiff-necked. If you see that word in the Old Testament stiff-necked, that means to be disobedient or totally non-compliant. they just bowing up. Verse number three, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That term children of wrath means warring and seething against all that is holy by serving the God of self, fulfilling every carnal desire and inclination. You know, sinful people are selfish people. They may may be generous with their money, but at its core, sin is selfishness, pride. What got Satan kicked out of heaven? Pride. So the very root from which sin springs is I want to do what I want to do. I want to please my flesh. That's why when Jesus starts preaching and teaching the Beatitudes and parables, it's how to treat other people, love your enemy. You know, it's one thing to act like a Christian, okay? There's a reason they call it act like a Christian. But you judge your Christianity and your spiritual maturity not by how you act, how you react. Because that, anybody ever said something before you thought about it? Thank you, Brother Dakota. This is good teaching, Brother Dakota said. You know what happened? You didn't let the Holy Ghost filter it. You didn't let the Holy Ghost put that check on you and say, hmm, probably shouldn't say this, probably shouldn't do this, probably shouldn't have thrown that. <laughs> hey, look, while we're talking about it, Never mind. I can't do it. It wasn't about that. It was about something totally different. But we were not children of righteousness. We were self-serving and sin-serving. When you're in that world, it's all about me. When you come to God, it's all about others. The way we were before salvation was not pretty. Satan was supernaturally powerful and much smarter than we were. The world system surrounded us from birth and we were imprisoned in our carnal, sinful nature. Yet somehow we managed to escape. You know how we escaped? It's found in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Do you realize that God owes you nothing? And that the only way that you can make it out of hell for eternity? was the mercy of God kicked in and said, I know you made problems. I know you've had mistakes. I know you've got a lot of baggage, but my love for you is gonna extend the opportunity for salvation. My friend, we wouldn't be here today had it not been for the mercy of a loving and a caring God. Aren't you thankful for that mercy today? mercy of God. He goes on in verse 5 and he reiterates, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Grace. Grace. You know what I find funny? It leaves me bewildered how people are quick to want to receive the grace of God but not extend the grace to anybody else Grace has to flow and it can only be received to the level at which it's extended Now I'm probably preaching another message right now and I you may hear this again soon But you reading the New Testament. I'm not going to finish chapter two. For those of you keeping track, in the Old Testament, there was a man that owed what would be translated today into millions of dollars, and he couldn't pay his debt. And he went to that master and begged for mercy, and grace, and mercy was extended. Great mercy touches the heartbeat, and it deals with love. Grace deals with consequences. So he appealed and wanted to touch the mercy of God or the master. It's a parable. And the grace was extended. In other words, I know you can't pay that debt. I'm going to extend grace to you, and I'm going to write off that debt. You don't owe this debt. Millions. You keep reading, and he goes and finds somebody that owes him about 20 bucks and says you throw him up you throw him in prison till he pays his debt he wanted to receive grace but he didn't want to extend grace to somebody grace has to flow it doesn't come to you and then you just hoard it it comes to you because there's going to be times that you have to give it away in everybody's life there's people that I call grace builders God leaves them in your life. You want to get rid of them. And God says, I got to leave them because it's teaching you how to be like me. Some of them might be family members. I don't know. But watch what happened. Because he wouldn't forgive somebody for $20, It, master caught wind of and he said, do what? Didn't I just forgive him for a debt he could not pay? He said, all right, and I'm going to reinstate the debt. You owe all of it now. That's why the Bible says that if you don't forgive people, God can't forgive you. Because if you can't give grace, then God can't give you grace. You have to forgive people. It's how salvation works. We were born dead, but God quickened us. See, when people become Christians, one of the hardest things for them to do is to retrain their minds to stop operating according to the world. Uh, Y'all remember me telling the story of the guy who prayed through my home church. He was just a barroom brawler. He loved God, but he'd fight at the drop of a hat. He's about about that tall, about that wide. Got the Holy Ghost. He'd put Jesus on the on his hard hat. And he'd go to church and start telling people about God. He'd always do like that. He'd just. And he'd get worked up. And if they weren't buying into it, he'd shut her down, start cussing. Let's go out in the parking lot. He'd meet me after work. And finally, one of our lay ministers pulled him aside because he worked with him. He said, Brother, uh probably need to change your approach. He said, I think you're kind of ruining your credibility with some of these people. You think? Yeah, probably need to stop cussing them too. But see, he was so passionate. He'd come out of the world. And all he knew was this is the greatest thing I've ever experienced. I want everybody to have this. And so his, his struggle was trying to retrain his mind because the Holy Ghost don't make you perfect. You still got that, if you was a a smart aleck before the Holy Ghost, you're probably a smart aleck after the Holy Ghost. Don't change your personality. If that was the case, there'd be no marriage counseling. But you still got opposites. And you you look at Israel. It took one night to get Israel out of Egypt, but 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. One night, God said, I'll do my part. One night, but 40 years, their mind. They were out in body. They were not out in their mind. There's always a battle between the new man and the old man, but we are not dead anymore, so we cannot act like the old man by grace. Grace is not God's ability to overlook our sin. It is the ability he gives us to live above our sin. Grace is the power to change. Verse 6: And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Watch this. Raised us up together because we are part of the body of Christ. Made us sit together. Okay? So your victory depends upon your connection to the body. I cannot emphasize enough today how important it is to stay connected to the body of Christ. As a pastor, I always worry when somebody starts withdrawing because isolation is never good. The blood has to flow through the body. It has to flow. You cut your thumb off, it's not going to make it. It has to be put back on and attached to the body. It has to be a part of the body. So you have to make sure that you maintain your connection. This is why I applaud, by the way, our joy group. We set a record Friday night for so many people. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody give yourselves a hand. Because you get strength through fellowship. It's not that we've got to do all of these things. We can clear the calendar and you could say, okay, I'll just tell I can tell the church you can do whatever you want to do. I'll see you Sunday and Wednesday. We could do that. But you're robbing yourself of strength that comes from being with the body of Christ, the fellowship that comes with it. Verse number seven, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. It says he might show. See, God likes to show us off. God likes to show us off. What do you think a testimony is? It is God showing us off. And God just stands back and goes, yeah, I did that. I provided when there was no money. I healed when a doctor couldn't do it. You know, there's a reason Christ was a carpenter. I can't be a carpenter. I, I love to build things that don't matter. Like, if nobody's going to care about it, if it don't have to be square, and nothing nothing matters, sign me up. Game on. But if this thing that we're building is going to matter to anybody, can't do it. I've done tried. Took me too long. Too much prayer. I don't like it. But Christ was a carpenter. You know what I learned about carpenters? They love to stand back and let people see what they built. Look at it. I did that. I think on the seventh day when God arrested, he just sat there and let all the angels go, wow. Did pretty good. It's it's in his nature to show off. And we, we are the ones that God's putting up on display. And what he's going is, now, let's look at their life 20 years ago, where they were, and look at where they are now. I did that. When they didn't have no hope, when they had nowhere to turn, when their family left them, their friends left them, I was right there with them. And God looks at your life and he says, I'm doing this so you will tell people what I can do. I'm doing this so you will have a testimony and people can see and they go, if if he did that in your life, I know he can do it in my life. Verse eight, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Verse nine, lest any man should boast. If salvation was based upon a standard of work, then it would be a standard whereby some could not attain. If God said, okay, this right here, you have to to be able to give this much. You have to be able to do this many hours of community service. You have to go to this many foreign countries. And, And if God set a standard based upon works, then it would be a standard that would eliminate some from the eligibility of salvation because some people may not have that much money. They might not be able to travel to all these countries. So he said, I can't establish salvation off of works because it would lead people to boasting that I could do it, but they couldn't. He said, so if I set the standard so low that everybody that desires it can achieve it, then nobody could boast about them being able to be saved and this one not. So he said, what I'll do is I'll establish a standard of grace and mercy. It doesn't matter if a lawyer walks in or if a prostitute walks in, they're gonna get the same opportunity at salvation. They're gonna get the same open door. The ground is level at Calvary. My friend, aren't you thankful today that God said whosoever will, let him come and drink of the waters of life freely. See, salvation is not an event you attend. It's a journey you take. When you come to the altar and you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, buried in His name, that's the beginning of salvation. It's not the end of salvation. Salvation has got to be the most elastic word in the Bible because it's so fluid. It hinges upon so many moving parts. Part of it is based upon who God is and what He can do. And God will always fulfill his end. But the rest of it has to do with you walking in what you learn, walking in revelation, walking in the truth of his word. See, past tense is I was saved. Present I am being saved. Future is I will be saved. But it all hinges upon my willingness to obey this book right here. Let me tell you, when you know you're saved is when you blink and you're not here anymore and you're in paradise or in another world, you've probably made it. But until then, you just got to keep on doing what this book says right here. Amen. I close with verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. It says we, as we stand, we are his workmanship. We are what he crafts. And believe me, I believe it's in the book of Philippians, Paul said, I'm confident of this one thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. Wheel. In other words, it, a, a carpenter does not get joy from starting a project. Anybody can start. How I many have ever started something that you never finished? Should be everybody. Something. It don't have to be a carpentry project, okay? Anybody can start. Starting does not bring joy. Finishing. Bringing that task and that project to completion brings joy. And so God, when he looks at us, he doesn't get joy from when we just received the Holy Ghost, although the angels rejoice over that. But what God gets joy from is when that thing is brought to completion. That's why the Scripture says, precious in the sight of the Lord is when one of his saints pass. It's because God goes, I know y'all are mourning down there, but I just completed what I've been doing for a long time in that person's life. We are his workmanship. We have to walk in that salvation every day. I said salvation is like elastic. It's very movable and flexible, okay? Some people try to make salvation such a rigid thing. They do it by establishing rules. They draw lines with sharpies, and if you cross that line, there's, if we're going to draw a line, we're going to use a dry erase marker because people will cross the line, and mercy, we're, we're going to erase that mistake. Okay? Not that we're compromising the line. We're going, to, we're going to erase by mercy and grace the crossing of the line because people will cross the line. Salvation is not about how hard we can make it. I mean, if I wanted to, I'd get up here and preach against everything. That blue shirt looks pretty worldly, huh, Brother Black? I could preach against everything. He knows I'm joking with him. I love blue. It's my favorite color. But that's rules. That's rules. And God didn't establish rules. He established relationship. The New Testament is about restoring what was robbed in the Garden of Eden. The reason there's rules in the Old Testament is because they didn't have the Holy Ghost to govern them. So he said, I've got to establish laws based upon my character and what I like, and that is to lead them to the New Testament, which is the restoration of relationship that was robbed in the Garden of Eden. And he says, when you get the Holy Ghost, I'm not. I'm going to take them off pages. I'm going to put them in your heart. That's why you see people when they get the Holy Ghost. My, my pastor, when... Brother Allen, when he he come out of the steel mills of Gary, Indiana. Come from a broken home. But he got the Holy Ghost one night, and he laid there lost in the Holy Ghost for over an hour. It might have been a couple hours if I remember the testimony right. And he said, when he come to, he heard all these different languages. He didn't know who it was. And when he finally come to enough, he realized it was him talking in tongues. He just laid out on the floor. And while he was laid out there, the Lord showed him a vision, and he just went to the pastor that night. He said, "Brother, I don't know how to say this." He said, well, "This is what I saw." What he didn't know was the church was fixed to be in the middle of a church split, and God was showing him something for the pastor, and it was exactly what the pastor needed to hear and needed to know about the church. But when he he said, "When I got up from the altar," he said, "I had one or two packs of cigarettes in my pocket." Wasn't convicted in the least before he walked in. He said, when I walked out, I took him out and I threw him in an old mud puddle. I never touched him since. He didn't even read the Bible. But you know what happened? He says, when you get the Holy Ghost, I will put my laws into your mind. I will write them onto your heart. He didn't have to read it. The Spirit of God, when he was quickened, it brought that to his spirit. And he said, I need to get rid of this from my life. Aren't you thankful for that Holy Ghost that will govern you? It will guide you. It will lead you. Oh, let's lift our hands and thank the Lord. God, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the touch of the Holy Ghost. We thank you, Lord, for the mercy and grace that gives us opportunity. We are your workmanship, God, and we want to walk and please you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Lord bless you. Why don't you turn around and greet one another?